Hey friends, Ashton Gustafson here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I'm super stoked and excited today. Uh, I, I think my, my senses are just gathering through one dialogue and even just to get to know him through uh, this work that he's put into the world. Uh, I, I feel like we've got a new friend in our community here uh, joining us. He comes to us uh, by means of one of our other village elders, uh, Brother Aaron McHugh. And McHugh sent me an email and said, the good, true, and beautiful community needs to know Ashish Katari. And so I said, any friend of McHugh is a friend of mine, uh, and he is, uh, he's taking his work into the world kind of in a new way, but still channeling uh, who his true self is. Uh, and from what I can find out, it seems like he is a beautiful soul doing amazing things. And so with that being said, uh, Ashish is joining us. He's got a new book coming out called Hardwired for Happiness, and I'm super excited to get to have him on today. So Ashish, welcome to the table, my friend. Thank you, Ashton. It is a real pleasure to be here with you all. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm super excited, like I said, to get to know you and your story, introduce you to our community, and it sounds like uh, you've got some deep, deep wisdom uh, that can make all of our lives lighter and brighter, and that's what we're after here. Um, so where do, we be- where do we begin? I mean, when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, you just told me, you just sent the email out... <laughs> <laughs> to, to the company saying, hey, this is this is the last day. So in a way, you're in day one. Uh, where how, how do you introduce yourself and what you're doing in the world? Yeah, look, um, Ashton, there's so many ways, you know, that uh, there's so many, you know, if you will, hats we wear, right? Faces we wear. But I mean, listen, I am a human being just like so many other, you know, people who are going to be listening to this. I am... Uh, I'm a father of a 12-year-old. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I'm married to my soulmate, my wife, who I actually met at my prior job. We've been together for 15 years. Um, we have a beautiful little pug, Miss Puggles. She's 13. She is our elder in the family, even though she was a baby <laughs> when we got her. And uh, listen, professionally, you know, I've, I'm basically today, as you said, leaving a 25-year career as a consultant. Uh, 17 of those with a firm called McKinsey and Company um, to start this to start this new venture, right? Um, but there's a deeper story underneath that, right? So I mean, I grew up in India, and um, you know, like so many of clients I've coached and people I worked with, you know, I spent my first 15, 20 years, uh, Ashton, executing a script that I picked up from the world around me, mm-hmm. right? Of here's all you need to do to be happy, right? Which is hustle harder, work hard, study hard, progress. Um, And, you know, I did all that, right? I climbed the top of my mountain. I was a partner in one of the most prestigious firms. Um, You know, got to a great place financially. I had a lot of love in my life. I had a great reputation. Clients were clamoring for me um, to help them with whatever they needed help with around operations and costs and what have you. And I found myself, you know, at 42, um, having achieved more than I'd ever dreamed of. Uh, and have, frankly, checking off all those boxes, right? Mm-hmm. I was the stereotype of I was chasing wealth at the expense of health and meaning. Mm-hmm. I did have a lot of love in my life. And I woke up one day, I, was, I had this growing sense of unrest and anxiety, you know, in me, saying, is this it? Uh, is there something more? And it's something that you can't put words to. And so I started a journey, you know, five years ago, really looking into the questions of what makes human flourish? What is life all about? Um, and, and that's the journey, the culmination of which is the result of this book, mm-hmm. right? And the insights I built around our human brain, our own way of how we actually experience the world. And frankly, how importantly, the keys to our freedom, the keys to our happiness, how they actually lie within versus everything that we pick up in our culture, which is go hunting everywhere for happiness. So yeah, that's the work, that's the book, and that's what I'm excited to actually bring through my own life journey and through all of the research and wisdom of 400 plus people who I've had a chance to kind of read and Mm -hmm. learn from and experience into the world. Yeah, so, um, and you get into this in the book a bit, so you you grow up in India, 
And, and, yeah. and you, you mentioned you mentioned this script, right? Which I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was basically, this is what you study. This is how you study. These are the grades. This is the formula that gets you into that school, that gets you that job, that gets you that revenue, that gets you that fill in the blank. It just keeps going. Yeah. Um, and at 42, you start asking the big questions of, is this it? Sure, surely... Surely there has to be more, um, and you also get into a key guy bit, which is a which is a, a word we double click on here all the time. Uh, yeah. good, good, true, and beautiful. So, talk to me about those those days a handful of years ago, as as you 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 it it you you became aware, right? You became aware that what you had wasn't doing what you thought it was going to do. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about those early days. Yeah, no, absolutely. And listen, you know, this hustle culture, right, for sure, right, gets exacerbated. And I, I was, I lived into that, you know, in India, um, you know, through my growing up years, but I see it all over, right? Anywhere in our, in our world, right? Anywhere, frankly, you know, the US is a big example of that, right? This is this, we pick up this culture of wanting to do more and be more, right? Because we're be just more by doing running. more. Exactly, right? Yeah. Just rushing, rushing, wanting, you know, running at an ever frantic pace. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd been that, right? Like it was always about working harder, longer, faster, picking up more things, um, you know, to do. Um, and look, I was blessed, Ashton, right? I was blessed. I had a chance. Um, as I said, you know, there was a growing unrest in me. Um, there was nothing wrong externally, but there was just a growing unrest within me. And frankly, I was running so hard, I didn't have a time to stop, right? So this awareness comes from actually being able to stop, to yep. be able to take, you know, um, take the pause. And that pause came through me through a gift from the firm that I was part of. We actually had a one-week amazing retreat in Portugal. It was one of the oldest monasteries. For the first time in my life, I'd actually stopped. Yeah. No devices, no TV, no alcohol just by yourself, right, in a place that was brewing with mystical energy yeah. and really, you know, applying some of the things that we had, that I was getting exposed to around psychology, around why we are, how we experience the world. And as I stopped and as I grew silent, right, I could actually start to tap into what was the core essence, what, who was behind you know, this man, like, who was I beyond the title of a partner at a top firm, a husband, a father, a son, an immigrant who had come to the country? Like, who was underneath all of that? Who was I? What was my core essence, right? And that core essence, as I tuned in, I realized for me, it had always been relationships. Mm -hmm. It had always been connections. It was always a desire to be able to connect with others and help others and really be part of that journey. You know, mm -hmm. that was the core essence of who I was. You know, that space also tuned me towards an experience of how I could actually be happier and healthier if, uh, you know, if I just started to understand myself, become more self-aware of myself and how I was actually making meaning in the world yeah. and how all these things that I held as truths were just stories. And they were one story and they were my story, <laughs> right? Um, and I could also see in that moment, in that week, that by the way, I wasn't the only one who was living into this myth, into yep. this dream, yep. into my own kind of version of reality. Everybody else around was as well, right? And yep. that was when those three things came together. But solitude was a big part of that. The ability to stop and tune in. And I found, you know, my ikigai, as you said, I realized that this is what I really wanted to do in the world for the rest of my life, was to be able to help people wake up, hmm. help people truly realize who they are. And from that place, right, really across the fears that kind of shape the colors, the beliefs through which we see the world, wake up, realize those. And through that, actually start to re-architect and self-author their stories, their lives, and how they wanted to lead the second half of their life. Yep. Yep. Um, and really start their journeys within to be happier, healthier, and have more love and meaning. Stop trying to control the outside world. Stop trying to look for happiness outside, yep. right? And that was it. That was my ikigai. That was the moments. And, and, you know, once I had found that, once I realized that, 
the rest of it was easy, mm-hmm. you know, because then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your calling, you know what you are running towards. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Once um, you, once you get the being aligned, all the doing, it just happens. It, it, it just it, happens. There's no force. It's all flow. You don't really, it's like, what are, what are you going to do now? I, that's almost not even interesting to me. I'm sure whatever crosses my path is going to be good and beautiful. There you have it. Yeah. There you have it. Right. Beautifully put. Once you tune yourself, to your path, everything else comes together, yep. right? Yep. And you start solving from a place of, well, is this going to work? Is that going to work? What if it doesn't work? Because all of a sudden, you know, those things are, those are the technicalities, mm-hmm. right? That you can solve your way into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that what if, what if it's not going to work is a, uh, that's, that is not the soul asking that question. That's the ego. That's an impoverished that, yes. ego that's asking that. The true self goes, this joint is electric with abundance. It's gonna, it's, we're gonna be okay. We may, we didn't think we were gonna make it 20 years ago and we made it. <laughs> um, no, exactly, right? And that ego, by the way, right, is a manifestation, beautifully said, right? The soul is our heart space, right? Mm-hmm. I fundamentally believe we're all born pure and whole. Mm-hmm. But our brains, uh, the mm-hmm. way we actually experience the world that instrument right ego is a manifestation of that right and unfortunately or fortunately you know our ancestors would say fortunately we would i would now say unfortunately our brains have evolved to be mm-hmm. wired for fear mm-hmm. you know they're wired to keep our body safe and secure and so they're designed to constantly be scanning the environment what if what if i'm wrong what is going to come get you and that puts us in this state of fear right so because why can't ego be a state of prosperity. Why mm-hmm. is ego mm-hmm. solving for safety? That's because the core instrument through which it's designed, that's mm-hmm. that manifests itself is wired that way. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And you know, I think your story, um, you, you had the opportunity. I, I love that your company sent you on a mystical voyage. I mean, that's just perfect. <laughs> um, you know, my mystical voyage was forced solitude, forced uh, stillness, for silence at the bodily level, like things just went haywire. I burned out and no need to go down that road. But I, that, there's, there is a, I, I'm following the breadcrumbs on almost everyone I interview. It's not until a moment came when I was silent enough to notice, notice the, the whisper that was actually a scream and yes. confront this ego mythology that I was so convinced was me. <laughs> like, 100%, 100%, right? I mean, look, in our world that has become so volatile, so uncertain, but more importantly, so noisy, mm-hmm. right? So noisy. And it does you don't even have to be in a noisy place. Yep. Our mind fills ourselves, right, with yep. noise. Yep. And there is sound and we don't like, you know, we don't like to be silent. We have completely given away our freedom and our ability to truly listen because when we are silent then we create space to be able to listen and you hear you hear that which has always been there that which has always been true that which will always be true it's not at the at the level of form at the ego level it's always trend it's always changing it's always ever you know whatever uh, but, but the soul, the true self, you, you, when we're still, we, we hear, you know, that place of the, the song that's always been there. Maybe that's how I could say it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, the song that's always been there, the music that's always been there. And then, you know, we can choose to dance to it. Mm, that's good. The way, you know, we can, I mean, that's the other piece, right? And yeah. then you have to make and feel comfortable doing your mm. dance. That is truly your dance, <laughs> right? Yes. High five. That's high five uh, metaphor through the <laughs> mic- microphone there. Um, well then, okay. So the book, uh, Hardwired for Happiness, this is kind of your reflection on, you've gone out and read 500 books on all of this stuff and saying, hey, I've distilled this down Here's nine practices that I think can help lead you uh, to more sustainable joy and happiness and peace in your life. So let's just jump through some of these. How's that sound? 
I think that sounds great. And, you know, Ashton, like at the heart of these nine, right, is, uh, you know, look, I delved through psychology, neurosciences, and spirituality, right? So I was looking at all different domains where I could actually look into why we experience the world and more importantly, how we change it, hmm. right? So this notion of our mind are wired for fear is true. But what is also true is that we can actually rewire our brains for happiness. Hmm. And that's what I found, right? These nine practices that we're going to talk about, Ashton, look, they have been there in every wisdom tradition yep. for thousands of years, right? At all the mature levels across the board, you will find all this consistently. There. They've been there in Christianity. They've been there in Islam. They've been there in Buddhism. They've been there in Yoga Sutras. Heck, the Stoics wrote about it. The, you know, yep. the Greeks wrote about it. Yep. But what is amazing is that science has actually now caught up with spirituality. So over the last 20 years, what I looked for were those practices that actually had strong underpinnings in science, proof that these practices can actually fundamentally rewire our brains. They can help us build new neural circuits, right? You would have heard this phrase, I'm sure, on the show, neurons that fire together, wire, wire together. together. Yep. Right? Yep. So if we are living in this ego-controlled world of fear, those are the neurons that, you know, get stronger and stronger. But as we kind of integrate these practices into our lives, we are consciously choosing to fire a different set of neurons. Mm. And as we continue to do that, we actually can build different circuits that can actually help us cope, that can help us override when these millions of years of fear-driven circuits fire up. There is something else that's on the other side that says, hey, that is not the only path. Here's the different path. Yeah. So that's why I was excited about, that's why I'm excited about it, right? Because it's really grounded in science. Yep. Um, why they work. Yep, 100%. Well, and we've kind of, you know, we I think even just chatting here, practice one, we've kind of chatted through. Practice one being cultivating self-awareness to know who you really are, not who you think you are. Because yes. even though you think it, that doesn't actually mean it's true, but knowing who you really are. And l listen, we all bring this cultural uh, conversation, whether you grew up in India or you grow up in Texas. We, we're all bringing bias and story and narrative that uh, uh, eventually, you know, what one of the great phrases a uh, teacher here has taught us is, is this idea of excavating your essence. You know, losing the labels, losing the narrative, losing the, the category, all of the lines that we draw to find actually who you really are. Yeah. And look, and then I trained as part of this journey, right, in the field of ontology, ontological coaching, which is all about really bringing distinctions around what makes us a unique observer. Hmm. Right. And it's this mix of these three things, language, which is all around beliefs that we hold about ourselves in the world. Um, and how we use language as a generational tool to create the worlds, not mm. just describe the worlds. Mm. Mood states, right? We can all have certain moods and emotions that predispose us to certain actions. And somatics, wisdom in the body, what we are really feeling, mm. right? Three of these things together, language, moods, and body, allow us to create a unique observer at any moment in our time, mm. any moment in our time. Our experience is tinted by these three things coming together. And so in self-awareness, right, I fundamentally talk about pausing and really being able to check in mm -hmm. with, hey, what is the mood that's present for me now? What is my belief? And is that belief really true? How can I validate that belief that that is actually true? That is a fact versus it's an assessment I'm making based on some experience I've had in the past that is now telling me, Mm -hmm. This is the truth. Yeah. And yeah. more importantly, what is the wisdom in my body, right? Intelligence is not just here, right? All the science is talking about this non-duality of mind and body. Yep. They're fundamentally connected. And depending on how tired you are, how stressed you are, what are the sensations present in your body, the thoughts that, you're, that come to you are very different, right? And so... You know, in this practice, I fundamentally talk about that, which is how do we actually get, bring intelligence in being able to pause and really check in with all parts mm. of this quote unquote self. And if, by the way, if that part is not helping us get where we want to actually shift it, mm. shift it, right? Learn to shift that observer 
Because only when we do that can we actually see a different path. Who's doing the looking? <laughs> exactly. The yeah. Who's doing the looking? And from what lenses are you doing the looking, right? Yeah. Right now they're rose colored. Could I actually have blue colored lenses? And how would that look like? Mm -hmm. And why is the rose colored one the right answer? Mm -hmm. Or clear ones? Mm -hmm. Exactly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Have you found one of those three being more challenging for for each person or or is it really it it's kind of it's kind of a roulette wheel it all just depends on uh the the historical self and what all software is running there look i think as we've become more uh you know people who are doing a lot of mental work what i find most common um Ashton, and i find this especially with executives i find this with intellectuals I think people lose touch of what's happening in their body. Yeah. We live above our neck. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Right? In fact, oftentimes when I'm coaching somebody, they'll say, I'm like, what are you feeling in your body? And they say nothing. And mm -hmm. I say nothing is an emotion too. Mm -hmm. Nothing is a feeling too. Mm -hmm. Nothing is, you're numb. So let's look into what's driving the numbness. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you really checked in, what is present? Because look, there is so much happening underneath. Yeah. Yeah, and and not I've, feeling and, something is feeling something too. Yeah, and I've seen a ton of culture identify body with bad, right? Not good, or that thing needs a diet, yeah. or it's overweight, or it's underweight, and and it, there's this no like body's really really good, especially from an instrument standpoint. Like it 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 speak the body keeps the score. It's a book, you know that I'm sure. One hundred percent. Yeah. We hold traumas in our body. Yeah. We hold unprocessed emotions in our body. And frankly, you know, our body fundamentally can help us or hinder us. I'll give you an example, right? Let's say if you find yourself in a state of anxiety or fear or just, you know, you're feeling sad, okay? There is a reason people say go for a run. Mm -hmm. There's a people who say put on a music and dance. Because when you are moving your body in a particular way, there is very little space for that emotion or that mood yeah. to reside in that body. And once you shift your mind and body, all of a sudden new possibilities open up in terms of thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, At an energy it, level, it can get stuck, you know? Yeah. And so you're saying movement can allow such things to break free. Yeah. Movement can allow different things and we can do very different things, right? We can learn to one, sense what's happening. Mm -hmm. And secondly, Instead of numbing that feeling of discomfort, we can choose to actually be present with it and see how it actually fundamentally changes, right? Because that's the other reality of our lives, even though we often forget it. That change is the reality. Yeah. You know, our body is constantly changing. It's not one body. Our cells are constantly dying. There are new ones being formed. You know, feelings start and rise, right? Things rise up and go away. And you can start to kind of realize that and say, wow, right? Instead of letting my body unconsciously drive my thoughts, I'm going to actually consciously learn to work with my body to support thoughts yeah. that I think are going to help me. Yeah, yeah, well said. And so many choose numbing, right? Rather than being with it, allowing it to teach, listening to it, trusting it. That, And I, I'm with you. I think, I think you're right on this bodily level thing. That is a... That is a practice in itself of learning 100 you know, how to tune in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I found so much breakthroughs just from that, right? Oftentimes when I tell people, like, don't try and do too many things. Tomorrow when you feel stress, just stop, just breathe, and just check in. What are you really feeling? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. then when you, when, you, when you get honest with what you're really feeling, chances are that's when you'll be honest with the story that you're really telling yourself and then you can ask your question, well, is this even true or not? Or is it just a story I'm telling myself? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Practice number one, check. Uh, practice number two, <laughs> practice number two, define your purpose. So you go Viktor Frankl on us, as you should. Um, talk to me about uh, your own experience of, of defining your purpose. Yeah. So listen, for me, this is, uh, you know, this is the classic, I think, problem that I actually find um, in, you know, our universities prepare us to get a job. Our universities don't prepare us to actually live a life filled with meaning, right? right. And Victor Frankl said it. Today, most of us have means to live, but no meaning to live for. Hmm. Say that again. Uh, I, need, I need that one again. 
right? Most of us have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Yeah, he said this in the 50s. It is so true, so much more true today, Mm. right? And I said, you know, I gave, you know, I was talking to some MBA students at uh, Leeds uh, Business School. Uh, And it's this amazing, smart set of kids, right, who were like all circled around. And we were having this conversation around finding your ikigai, right? Don't just get a job to earn a living. Design a career that allows you to do what you love, what you truly love, that leverages your strengths, that the world needs and is willing to pay for, right? That's what the Japanese call the ikigai. Thing that gets you out of bed. one of us have it, right? Find that. And so the question I got was, yeah, that's great if you know it, but what if you don't know it? And I said, like, this was my, I wanted to be provocative. And I said to them, like, listen, what I would say is it's an obligation. It is, Mm. I would say it's your obligation to find that. Mm. Otherwise, you know, just getting a job that pays your bills is no different than slavery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is your obligation because to the, single mother of two kids who didn't go to college, who's working at McDonald's to feed them, that is not even a choice. Mm. But you all who are sitting here, right, who are taking 18 months away, who have this space, you're in this rich, wonderful community of others with unbelievable life experiences. You have the school, you have your professors, and you have this rich environment. Don't just look for a job. Tune inwards, Mm -hmm. starting from that first practice, start to get curious about who you really are, what's your essence, and then do a bunch of experiments to find something that actually fills you with joy and say, how do I find something in that? Find your ikigai. And just hearing you process this, it's exhausting to not have this. Like like you, it's without a North Star, you're just going to go wherever you may go and you feel like you're never going where you need to be going. And so I think, but you don't, you, you're not going to have North star discovery without finding it within first. And I think, and I I see now why practice one is cultivating self-awareness because that in itself is at least the starting of the map towards your North star and a key guy. Right. Uh, You know, one of the teachers who I had a chance to study with John Kabat-Zinn, you know, um, you know, He says this, right? You have a zero shot in hell of becoming somebody else. (laughs) You have a hundred percent shot at becoming who you are, right? So you have to start with becoming who you are, right? What is your unique expression of it? But, you know, you have to then put in the effort to design it, to Mm -hmm. have a series of conversations, to kind of really find it. It doesn't just appear, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a long process. And, And I always say, right, this is, by the way, the reason You know, Ashton, if you look at engagement scores, Gallup studies this, you know, this is the reason why 30% of the people at companies are engaged in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Globally, it's 20%. So can you imagine a life? How is it not just slavery Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're showing up? Work is what occupies 70, 80% of our living hours five days a week. You are showing up to something that you don't feel committed to. You're not excited about. Right. I mean, how that's a terrible existence. And, you know, if you don't have a choice, look, we always have to do. I always say, you know, look, are you doing something that at least 70 percent of the time you're going? Heck, yeah. You know, if I had six more months to live. Yes, this is what I would be doing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have it, don't quit your job. I would say that. Right. Really important. Don't quit your job. But start getting curious about how can I put more of those things that I love into my job? Mm -hmm. And if I can't find them, how can I actually start to get curious about what is really available in this space that we live in today, right? With technology, with where the business is going, where, uh, you know, where our life is going, the possibilities are endless, right? Look, in the Middle Ages, if you were the son of a carpenter, you became a carpenter. If you were the son of an ironsmith or a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. That is not true today. And so how are we actually really using the abundant world in which we live to truly live into what is truly our self-expression, what we've been born in this planet, right? 
to really do. 100%. And I, I think there's an invitation, and this is a, a super thin line on the conversation of a key guy, is do not get overly attached to the form, the film stock, the tapestry. Uh, you need what 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 we're really getting at here is the love and light that shines through, right? Yeah. So if you are not careful, you're gonna think you're gonna think job, uh, dream job. No, that's not a dream job. You're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna go all on the level of form. I think what you and I are arguing here is this is so mysteriously beautiful, and you're and you're you're home free because once you have a key guy discovery. It goes everywhere in your life. It's not just your role at your job. This this now is a key guy in how you husband, how you're a partner, how you parent, how you befriend, how you welcome the stranger. This is this is this is essence conversation. We're not again talking about the level of personality and form. Not at all. Not at all. Hundred percent, right? And look, I fundamentally believe, and this is the work that I am—I was doing with the firm, and I'm continuing to do now. This notion of self-authorship, right? Mm. Writing your own story, and I fundamentally believe that seventy percent of the people can truly find and integrate what they love into where they are right now. Uh, yep. We can actually find meaning. Bingo. We can find meaning in what we are doing by being able to really take a step back and think about it, you know, and integrate to what we care about. Yeah. The problem again is that, first of all, our managers aren't designed to really have a space to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. We ourselves are so busy that we say like, look, I just need to get this stuff done. I don't have to worry about this. I'll play on the weekend. I'll play in the evenings. And I go like, why? This is what you're doing 70% of your time. Yep. Find it here. Because you know what? If you find it, if you truly find your Ikigai, there's something magical that happens, right? You will not be solving for work-life balance. That's right. Those conversations go out the door because work and life are fundamentally integrated. That's right. You're doing what you love. You look forward to Mondays. Oh my God, I'm so excited to show up to work, right? You're not looking forward to Fridays. Thank God it's Fridays, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I started my journey and I shifted after 20 years of a job to what I love doing, people are like, any day of the week, they're like, how are you? I said, I'm awesome. They're like, how are you awesome? It's not Friday. And I'm like, oh, I'm awesome every day because I'm doing what I love. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that I'm good at, yeah. that the world needs and is willing to pay for. So every time when I'm engaged in that, I keep getting better, yeah. right? Because I'm all in. Yeah, 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 100%. And, and I, money and, follows, right? That's right? And then money follows because you're better at something. And if it's something in a space that the world needs and is willing to pay for, mm-hmm. you write your check. Mm-hmm. 100%. Also, the law of attraction follows this. Um, you know, flow, not force follows this. Uh, this 100%. Yeah. Yeah, this is huge. And I, and I like, and I know I'm using words here, but like, really, I, I think I want to invite the listener to consider the words of love and light as you begin stirring the soup that is you're a key guy and and, that's right you know because with light you can see with with love you can be i didn't mean for that to rhyme i've never said that before but like maybe maybe there's something there to this begin with those don't don't think another costume you're not going to get another costume exactly exactly Exactly. Yep. Start there. Yep. Start the journey from love. I did not mean for that to rhyme, by the way. So my 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 <laughs> my, my apologies. I love um, it. I love that. Uh, practice three: embrace mindful living. Um, talk to me about our minds, and yeah. because because in, in in on one hand, we're saying mind is bad. And yet, on the other hand, we're saying, well, you need, you need to be more mindful. Um, so yeah. uh, chat with me about that. Yeah, look, I don't think that it's anything inherently good or bad, right? It is, is are we wielding our intelligence the right way? There you go. Right? Well said. You know, a, a, a knife in the hand of a kid not pointing in the right way can do a lot of damage, you know? And if we didn't have sharp knives, we wouldn't be able to do half the things we do. Yeah. So it's, the knife isn't bad. It is, are you actually, do you know how to use it, right? And the problem with most of us, right, is, you know, there was this research that that like 50% of the time, right, 
mind wanders. In fact, for many, I would say it's 70%. Mm. And where does the mind wander? The mind wanders into the future. It's a predictive making machine, right? So that's what it is designed, right? Our brains are amazing predicting making engines, right? Constantly predicting how things are gonna happen in the future. The other place they go is they go in the past. Hmm. Yep. Because they're learning from the experiences, but often they're not learning. They're just living into the pains, the things people have said, right? Grudges, regrets. Oh, why did he say that? Shame, why did she do that? Guilt. You know. So past and future, right? And by the way, there is no problem in being in the past and in the future if you are doing it intentionally. Hmm. The problem is we're doing that back and forth without us being intentional, right? And I love this uh, analogy, you know, I love the story. I was, I, uh, you know, I listened to one of the mystic teachers in India, Sadhguru, and I heard this in one of his speeches and it's so stayed true to me that I'll share it with your listeners, right? He said, imagine if your hand or your leg 70% of the time moved without your actual control. It did whatever it wanted, hmm. Ashton. What would you do? Would you be okay with that? You'd, be You'd go to a doctor there's something wrong with it, right? Like, you know, it decides to kind of slap my face or kind of, you know, move around. We would not be okay with that. But we accept that about our mind all the time. Monkey mind. Monkey mind. Well, that's what it is. That's what the mind does. Why? Mind is, what is the mind? Mind is a part of our brain. It is as much a part of our body as our hand or a leg. So mindful living is about truly building a capability, a practice mm. of actually being in control of one of the biggest sources, right? Gifts that we have as humanity. Our brains, our minds got us to the top of the food chain without us being the strongest or the largest. Mm. The problem is because we have lost control of it, they've turned against us. Yep. Yep. And that is at the source, by the way, all the work at Harvard just shows a wandering mind is a suffering mind. A wandering mind is a suffering mind versus a present mind. Versus a present mind because you are here in the moment, right? Teach mm -hmm. Nan, another teacher I follow and right. I listen to, he says, your appointment with life is in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Most of us are running through life, missing life, mm -hmm. Completely, but the future because we're will so only worried happen. about the future. But the future will only happen in the now. <laughs> future can only happen in the now, right? Like it is, it is only the now. It is only the now. And so this idea, this practice, you know, Ashton is all about really building this as a practice, as a capability. And by the way, not a practice. Remember, and it's not a practice that you just do thirty minutes every morning or five minutes every morning, sitting on a couch, sitting on a, you know, sitting on your meditation cushion. What I'm inviting people to do is really build this into a superpower that is with you all day long. Yep. Yep. You don't have to like sit, you know, in a in a pose and like force yourself to have your mind empty. Because guess what? If 90% of the time you're kind of constantly multitasking and responding to texts and Facebook and emails and phone calls, what chance in hell do you have for your mind in 30 minutes that you sit for it to be actually calm. Yep. You have no chance in hell yep. because the rest of the time it's all over the place. Yep. Yep. So the idea is about actually bringing this and that's why I, call, I, don't, I didn't call the practice meditation. Hmm. I called it mindful living. It's mm -hmm. about how do we live our life mindfully. And this is where, uh, this, this is, I, 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 the word I've discovered with mindfulness is this is when the mundane becomes magic when the when the when the things that you never thought were electric and enchanted become create like the world all of a sudden the world is in like dolby whatever surround sound panoramic view and almost everything is kind of interesting you're like yes well i've never noticed that species of tree before i've never noticed that ring around my daughter's eye that's a color i've never seen before like this is you 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 really are introduced to a whole new language of beauty as you invite mindfulness into your life. 100%, right? One, and I kind of, you know, experience it in four, you know, full dimension, 4K, HD, whatever, <laughs> even higher than 4K. You know, I did a 10 days uh, Vipassana, a silent meditation, right? So 10 days where we were completely silent. And then I tell you, right, once you stop, all of a sudden, the, the layers of reality that mm -hmm. you actually start to see. 
I mean, any place in the world, right? You can sit in your garden, you can sit in your house. Look, 90% of what's around, 95% of what's around, we don't even notice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Something has to be off for you to notice that you don't even notice. Mm -hmm. And once you stop, you can start to see all the beauty, as you said, right? It is the magic yeah. that we are swimming in, right? All, the, all around us. And by the way, that's what makes every moment so much more magical, so much more beautiful. We can experience in its full depth, color, vividity. Yeah, for sure. You know what I love about this conversation is that I don't I don't have to wonder if you understand the metaphors and the lingo. <laughs> it's uh it's just back and forth. It's like a beautiful tennis match where the no no one wins or loses. We're just doing the deal here. Um yes, I, I, I think that's a telltale sign. And and the other thing too, this was I discovered this not long ago, is loneliness dissipates. Mindfulness brings like a, an intimacy to the present moment where I, like I often think like beauty is the language between everything that is right. Like I think that yeah. I would say that's maybe how I would define beauty. Beauty is the language between everything that is. And, and you, you only turn your soul's radio dial to that frequency uh, with, with such mindfulness. And I, and I think, that was an unexpected gift that I never knew would come. Not that I've ever felt like I battled loneliness, but it, it sure, there's just an element of intimacy that's there in life where you feel like you're being carried across by something or someone, right? There's something yeah. more going on here. Yeah. You know, and by the way, one of the magical things that changes, right, is when we stop. Look, loneliness comes because of this, by the way, oftentimes also comes because we experience ourselves as just this body, our limits of self. You know, we have this whole story of this is it. Hmm. When you stop, you start to actually realize that we are constantly in connection to everything else around. I'll give you a simple example, right? You can be sitting outside, right? And you think about breath, right? This is, again, right, from another teacher, right, that I picked up and I loved it, right? And it's like, think about it. So you breathe in. And our lungs are taking in oxygen and giving out carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. right? What are the trees doing? Taking in the carbon dioxide, giving in oxygen. That's right. It's give and take. Half of our respiratory system is out there. Yep. So even that notion of self, this is my, no, that is yourself too. Like there is so much happening, right? This, these separations start to differentiate. You constantly, as a result, start to feel at one. Mm -hmm. Symphony. And if you're at one with the universe. There is no space for loneliness, my friend. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You feel a part of the symphony. Um, or, yes. or, or, or let's say it differently. You know you are a part of the symphony. You know you are a part of the symphony. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You know, and people solve for connection outside. And I always say, you know, I haven't found somebody like who I love and who I like. And I go, do you like yourself? Mm. Do you love yourself? Right? If we can be with our own self. Um, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful uh, chapter in, in, a, in, in a book written by Thich Khatna. Thich uh, you are here. It says how to be alone, how to be mindfully alone. Mm. How do we truly be yourself? And I find it's beautiful. So, you know, for those who are listening, if you wanted to read that chapter, I mean, it is, it is truly magical. I think it, it completely reorients us yep. to the power. But yeah, but mindfulness is a really, really, I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, again, it's like one of these meta practices that to your point has so much, of course, it eliminates suffering, yep. but more important, it gives us more control and agency, but more importantly, it makes the mundane magical. Yep. Well said. Um, all right, three practices down. Let's hit number four. This may be my favorite one, the practice of gratitude. Now, here you go, quoting the Reverend Willie Nelson, right? When I started counting my blessings, my whole life turned around. Um, I, I, I sense spirit of gratitude within you. Um, talk to me about what you have learned about cultivating awareness around uh, gratitude. Yeah. So look, it's one of the most powerful practices, frankly, right? All of these are practices. Gratitude is one of the most powerful practices because even the results of it, Ashton, we can reap the results of gratitude in eight weeks or less. Hmm. 
in fundamentally actually our brains getting rewired, right? So there's tons of work done by Marty Seligman and others who've studied it, right? The effects of writing down three things we are grateful for every day, right? And they studied how our brain activations change mm. and our brains actually fundamentally start to shift the firings in the left and the right hemispheres, right? They actually start to get balanced. Wow. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because what happens is, look, these brains, they have again, our brains are designed to keep our body safe and secure. We got to start from there. Yeah. So there is this notion of a hedonic treadmill. Whatever you get, the brain goes, okay, got it. Hmm. That might be the best job you wanted to get. You got the job. I got the job. What's next? Mm -hmm. Because if you stop running back in the day, you died. Right, so our brains are designed to tiger, put us constantly tiger, in a tiger in the bushes, <laughs> right? Constantly in a state state of hustle, right? That's 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 the brain, right? And often, you know, when we are looking for what's not right, we forget all that we have, right? I'll give you a classic example. If I asked you, "How are you doing?" I may not ask you how I'm doing. You say, "I'm fine," right? I'm fine. Said, no, no, how are you really? Said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm feeling good. You know, I say, feeling healthy. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling healthy. But to somebody who's actually something's not, right? Let's say, let's say your foot was hurting. Ask you, think, is there my foot is hurting? We focus in on what's not right, right? Mm -hmm. But think about it. I always say, well, your foot is hurting. That's good. You have a foot. <laughs> how many people don't have a foot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the fact that we can see. Mm. How many people are in the world who can't see? Their biggest gift they could ask for as a day where they could see, right? There's this beautiful um, letter that Helen Keller wrote. It's called Three Days to See. Hmm. And she talks about this experience that she had in a conversation with a friend who had just come back from a walk in the garden. And she asked her, what did you see? And she said, nothing special. Wow. And he said, how can you see nothing special when even without the sight, without sight, when I go for a walk, I experience so many things, hmm. right? It's this notion of our brains just like tune it out. Mm -hmm. And with gratitude, if we really cultivate a practice of appreciating all that is good in our lives, it completely changes how we experience life. Because all of a sudden, you start to realize that most of us, our lows are somebody's hopes of a high. Mm. Yep. Our lowest moments are somebody's hopes of a high. Wow. And we also start to realize when we're suffering, we're not alone, right? Because that's the other thing that happens. If something goes right, our first response is poor me. And why is this happening to me and only me? And you look around like, no, it's not. It's actually, you know, lots of people who have that, right? You create yep. you have a victim. of humanity, yep. right? You start to realize, oh my God, I'm not being singled out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Fundamentally, right? This look, I was a trained consultant. I was I was trained to go. I mean, dude, like I could find if there was a page up with 150 words, I could find the one play one word that was misspelled <laughs> in microseconds. Yeah. Right. And I have personally experienced the power of this practice because it completely changed how I experienced the world. Yeah. Now, when things don't go well, you know, they don't have that much of a, they don't have that much of a force. Yeah. So the fact that something's not going well is still there, but the emotional charge yeah. goes away, right? Which gives me in a better state to be able to actually navigate whatever is there. A hundred percent. And this is the, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Um, yeah. Conversation. And I, I like, I think I've done a podcast before where I talk about in a gratitude journal once I wrote that I was thankful for coarse black pepper and, and, and it, <laughs> and it like the aha that I had was if I don't get it in the coarse black pepper, the random little black specks on top of whatever, then I, then I'm dang sure not going to get it in, uh, whatever else I've put on a pedestal, relationships, business deals, ah. accolades, awards. Um, and, and really the smaller your world here, the bigger your life gets. That, 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 100%. That, 100 And it's true, yeah. right? Relationships. We can, pick, we can pick whoever, our friend, our spouse, our kid apart for what they're not doing right. 
Yeah. We forget in that moment everything else about them that is magical, every other thing that they're doing that is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It allows us to actually work with something. It allows us to work, hold whatever is not right in the context of everything that is right and yeah. then support it in a very different way. I think, again, this practice is not about kind of being like, you know, quote, this is not about whitewashing mm -hmm. what's not right. It's about truly being able to hold what's not right or what we don't like in the context of everything else that is right. So we can actually work with it without all the emotional drama that we are so fantastic at creating for ourselves. Yeah, you just put it in, in a way that I, I've never thought before. The gratitude, the practice of gratitude allows the asymmetrical moments in life to, to pale in comparison to the wonderful mysterious unexplainable things that you yeah. have that you have in life you're like oh yeah what do you know the deal fell through i mean five fell through last month like you, it's it's like you 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 create these world-ending things about little things that happen they got my dinner wrong they got my meal wrong whatever it's like yeah but you've actually never missed a meal in your entire life yeah probably you know like yeah. th th this is so yeah it, gratitude helps me absorb the asymmetrical places in life and keeps me keenly, keenly aware of the crazy, unexplainable, beautiful things that are happening around me all the yeah. time. Yeah. And that's what it is, right? There's this, uh, you know, there's this very famous story around, you know, a professor gave his students uh, an assignment, right? And he gave them a piece of paper. He said, turn it around and just write a whole page of what you see. And one, on the page, right, was like literally this page and there was like a dot, you know, drawn in the middle. And he asked them to write on it. And literally every one of them wrote about, right? They wrote and they wrote about the dot, the size of the dot, the color of the dot, the fact that it was circle or not. Was it in the center or not? Was it a little bit up, a little bit down? Nobody wrote about the huge white paper on which mm. the dots. Mm. And he said, that's life. At every moment, we are focused on that one thing that is not going right. We forget yeah. everything else that is actually going amazingly well. How forgetful we are um, yeah. to only notice the dot. But we can train ourselves. Again, this goes back to neurons that fire together, wire together. We can train ourselves over very short periods to actually take in, appreciate the good. Yep, yep, 100%. That we're all blessed with. Yep. And the studies show it, right? And it's And really across all ages. You know, sometimes I think there is this, yeah, I want your... 60, 70, you're, 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 you're past the point. No, you're saying, no, like this stuff, th this can change. The way you see the world change. can change. You truly change the way, right? Because you're actually rewiring your brain. Mm. You start to experience the world differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love it. I'm going to jump forward. Um, yeah. A couple more of these practices. Uh, that way, because people need to buy this book, man. I don't want to tell them what I'll say. <laughs> um, and I want to go to practice nine. Because uh, I, I think this word um, is something that's uh, uh, it, it teaches me all the time what what it means to be intentional. And practice nine is living with intention, um, intentionality. My oh my, um, I, I my darkest days are when I know that I didn't live with intentionality. Um, the the come home, turn on Jimmy Fallon, and ask how did I get here? That's a frustrating place to be. Um, but if I can look backwards and, and see the seeds that I sowed and that light I wanted to be through the film stock, um, that intentionality, uh, and really it, it, it's a momentum, this is a momentum conversation. Intentionality yes. builds on itself. Talk to me about, um, you know, how we lose track of what really matters, but in, intentionality giving us that, 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 that way to pursue. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, you know, in this chapter, I cover so many things from the macro to the micro, right? The micro is how you're setting your goals and more importantly, how you're forming habits. So you don't have to put all your energy into living, quote unquote, intentionally, right? Like, look, 60, 70% of what we do is just out of habit. We do it just out of our habit nature. So how do we actually, at the micro level, like where we want to go, let's make a habit out of it. Hmm. So we can take the mental energy out, right? To make something habit, you need to set a goal, right? And the goals have to be tangible, they have to be actionable, they have to be achievable. But to set a goal, you need to have an intention. Where do you want to go? And this is where 
I mean, I find so much breakthrough. That was the truth for me, right? So when I looked, you know, earlier, you know, towards the end of last year, you know, Ash and I had this, you know, Christmas again, I, I created a space for myself where I could be with myself. I was assessing my life. And I say, think about these four dimensions always, right? Think about them every year, every six months, every quarter, every month. Other than that, you're okay. And think about these four dimensions of our life, right? How do you feel about wealth? How do you feel about health? How do you feel about love? And how do you feel about meaning? Hmm. And by the way, there is no one right answer on any of these dimensions. Your definition of wealth might mean $100 million or $10 million or a million dollars. It might mean I need to, right, in terms of assets. It might mean I'm fine with $70,000 in income or... 250,000 or whatever, right? Or not, whatever it is, you choose your scale of zero to 100. Mm -hmm. But really take a step back and assess how are you doing against that mm. for each one of the dimensions and then set an intention for where do you want it to be? Mm. Where do you want to go? Because guess what? There's two benefits that come from it. One, oftentimes, you know, in this crazy hustle culture, right, as I said, there's so many people, really brilliant, smart, intelligent people who are gifted and who have been blessed, right, to be able to kind of go to good schools or like, you know, they've been blessed in so many ways, right? Many of them keep hustling way past they've achieved the wealth goal because you know what? I feel I can get more. I can get more because, again, that scarcity mindset, you know, That's it's right. never enough. Yeah. And they end up sacrificing health, hmm. which, you know, when you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s, health is more important than wealth because you know what? No amount of wealth will buy you your health back. That's right. And we're all destined to live long, right? Our kids are going to live to be hundreds. It's like, I mean, every, every research that you say is there with advances in technology, they're going to live for a long time. The question is, are they actually walking happily hmm. to our end of days or are we crawling? And our decisions and how we live our lives in our prime directly relates to that intention. How we are living now affects that. Same as the story with meaning. We talked about it in yeah. purpose. Yeah. And love. Yeah. You know, our consciously how we are spending time with those we love, our family, our friends. You know, there's so many people I work with who say, you know what? I had this dear friend. I haven't spoken to him for 20 years. And I really wanted to, but I just, it got lost in the hustle bustle of life. And I said, it is your life. <laughs> you are the control of it, right? Because if we don't set an intention, then we just react to what the world throws at us. Yeah. And so I invite people to kind of really take a step back and say, look, step number one, assess where you are. Wherever you are is okay. Step number two, decide where you want to go. And three, then choose intentionally to spend your time and your money the two things we've got to reorient yep. your life towards where you want to go. I love it. That's, that's living intentionally, right? And by the way, if plans don't go as you want, treat yourself with compassion, <laughs> do the assessment and said, you know, just move on it again, right? Life is always about one step back, two steps forward. That's right. That's okay. But if you have a goal you're going to, you have a pretty good chance of getting there. If you don't have that, which is what many people live, reacting to what's coming at them, it might be too late. Yep. If we don't know where we're going, anywhere will take us there. Yeah. Or <laughs> nowhere will take us there. Nowhere right? will you take know us what there. I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, you'll be just running around like left, right, and center, yeah. right? Like without actually, you know. Yep. Yep. I love it. Um, man, I love this. Happiness, hardwired for happiness, uh, nine proven practices to overcome stress and live your best life. October the 11th, everywhere good books and bought are sold. Is that right? Yes. So it'll be available on October 11th, you know, anywhere, Amazon. It'll be, we also have an ebook that'll be available. You know, Ashton, people can also go to the website, happinesssquad.com, and, and they can actually sign up to be part of the community. Look, I fundamentally believe this is about practice and integration, mm. and communities can be a big part of keeping us on the path right? Bringing us back, inspiring us with their stories, and really, frankly, giving us the support we need, right? Yeah. This is a lifelong journey, but it's a lifelong journey that we can take 
with the first step. And I think if we take the step and we do it, especially with others holding our hands, when we fall down, they pick us up. And when they do, we pick them up. I love it. I love it, man. Um, well, super grateful for you and your work and your energy in the world. And, and listen, I always have one question I ask folks before we, uh, before we go here. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Wow. You know, my advice, my biggest piece of advice to myself is know that you're worthy just as you are. Mm. Don't look for worthiness outside. It's an inside job. It's an inside job, as is happiness. It's an inner game. It's here. Don't chase it. <laughs> um, guys, Ashish Katari, one of my new good buddies, I think. I think we kind of dialed it in today. So uh, will you come back? Will you come share with us again sometime? Oh, my God. It'll be my pleasure, Ashton. And, <laughs> you know, kudos to you, my dear friend, for creating such an amazing community, you know, of the good, true, and beautiful. Look, I think... We need, we need you, we need others like you who can actually inspire us and I can keep, keep bringing us together uh, to walk on this path because only if we walk this path do we have a shot at actually healing the planet and creating a world that is happier, healthier, and filled with love and meaning, yeah. you know? So I am, I am honored to be with you and and to be able to you know connect with uh, your listeners thank you for the great work you do yes sir man honored to be with you as well my friend and uh sending grace and peace your way and guys go out get the book it's out october the 11th and uh ashish i'm gonna keep you on speed dial and we will have you back soon my friend awesome take care ashton yes sir